all around our community, and not uniquely so, we see signs that, says, that say, work zone, under construction. We find that certain highways we have trouble getting around on because construction work is taking place. We go into areas of the city and we find that there are buildings that are being torn down. There are others that are being erected. Even in this area, we think of some of the great uh, building structures that we've had, not so much in the sense of how tall or high they may have been, but have had significance for the Dallas-Fort Worth community. Those who have been residents of this area for a number of years certainly remember Texas Stadium. It is no more. Now it's Jerry's World in Arlington. Some of you may be going to or have gone to the ballpark in Arlington. And even though it was just recently constructed, it's being done away with. And in 2020, there's supposed to be a new stadium for the Rangers baseball team. Yeah, things are always under construction. They're always being changed. It's part of the nature of temporal things. And sometimes we don't get the message that temporal things always are and always will be temporal. And the great building projects that are happening today will be antiquated tomorrow. New construction will have to take place. In contrast to that, someone may ask the question, well, what is God doing today? Well, almost with tongue in cheek, I would say, you mean other than Ruling over all the universe? You mean other than working in all the nations of the earth to prepare them to be the footstool of the feet of Jesus Christ? You mean other than working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Well, what we find in God's word is one of the key building projects that God is doing today is the work of Jesus Christ when he said, I will build my church. And what is so wonderful about the church that he builds is first and foremost that it's not temporary. It is permanent. And second that he gives those who are the members of his church who have that genuine relationship with him the privilege of being part of his building project. And so in our study today, I'm wondering how well you are making your life count. Whether it's absorbed with temporal building projects, maybe as we hear on TV once in a while, you're looking for your forever home or you're looking for that million-dollar view and you think somehow in your temporal pursuits you're going to find lasting projects, lasting satisfaction and success when we fail to recognize temporal things are always and only will be 
temporary. And there is no permanence to any of the temporal things that we do. Back in 2003, a pastor by the name of John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in it, he talked about the difference of living your life for temporal pursuits rather than having your life focus on the eternal and what God has called his people in Jesus Christ. Piper said, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan and work, not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every aspect of our lives. Most people slip by in life without a passion for God, spending their lives on trivial divisions, diversions, living for comfort and pleasure while perhaps trying to avoid sin. I warn you not to get caught up in a life that counts for nothing. I don't care how great is any human being's temporal success. It counts for nothing. In contrast, we find, as Piper said, I write this now in my 60s, and as the months go by, I relate more and more to people who are young enough to be my sons and daughters. You may be in that category. I have four sons and one daughter. Few things, if any, fill me with more longing these months than longing that my children not waste their lives on fatal success. Not waste your life on fatal success. The world is full of temporal building projects the pursuits of men to accomplish things in this world. But the reality is Jesus Christ is building something permanent. And he gives us the opportunity, the privilege to be part of that work and to be used of him in doing so. And for us to better comprehend and understand this building project and the way that he has called us to be part of it, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Now, this letter was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and most likely it is the third letter that he wrote to them. He makes it very clear in chapters 1 and 2 that he wrote to them a letter before this letter that is very different in its content than what we have in 1 Corinthians. Doesn't mean it wasn't an important letter. Doesn't mean it wasn't inspired by God. But it means it wasn't designed by God to be preserved for the well-being of his people in that which we call the Bible. And in that letter... He had uh, 
spoken to them about the importance of being sure that they were walking in a way that was pleasing to the Lord, to avoid the things in their lives that were detrimental, and to correct those problems. And he was rejoicing that they had responded accordingly. And some yet were denying Paul's apostolic authority. And in this letter, more than any other, he expresses his personal life and ministry and what drove and motivated him in his daily life. He was a man that was privileged to be a messenger of the new covenant. And he went through a lot of difficulties in life. And instead of being overwhelmed, discouraged, disappointed, throwing in the towel, he says in verse 16 of chapter 4, We don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are what? Temporal. They're temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And in particular, Paul says in verse 1 of 5, what I'm talking about is my physical aspect of my being. We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. And indeed, while in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, Inasmuch as having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we, uh, we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, always being of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent with the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we have this also as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And why is that so? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive recompense for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. So as Paul is defending his apostolic ministry, he is providing a perspective for God's people as they go through life. And if I just summarize some of the things that we find here, the first is, that Paul is recognizing that God is the one that encourages his people as they go through the difficulties in life. You know, today, so often, a gospel message is presented that says, well, if you just trust Jesus, all your problems will go away. Now, some of them will go away, but the reality is you're going to have some additional problems. And the, rea- the reason why you have additional problems is that this world is not a friend of grace. But what God is saying to us through Jesus Christ and, or excuse me, through the Apostle Paul is our life is built upon Jesus Christ is that whatever afflictions we're enduring, they are storing up for us an eternal weight of glory that will not fade away. 
that God is using the difficulties that we face in life as a way in which we manifest to the world around us the sufficiency and the greatness of our God. The second thing that Paul wants us to understand is that you and I going through life need to have an eternal perspective. And that is not to either get upset with or certainly preoccupied with the things of this world. Now, Paul could say for himself, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in a sense, in these verses, he gives us some of the aspects of what it means to have Christ as the focus of one's life and the benefit that comes. And it is that I look at this life and I recognize it is part of my schooling. It is part of my training that God is using in my life to prepare me for glory. And to do so, I have to be sure I have an eternal perspective. Now, when Paul said we don't look at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are unseen, he isn't saying that the things that are seen are the realities and the things that are unseen are just the imaginations. They are more real than what is seen. And it's hard for us to come to grips with that. Now, what does Paul include in this idea of the temporal things that are not permanent? Well, in the immediate context, and the thing that Paul keeps emphasizing, it's your physical body. Your true self is the unseen part of your being. Your true self will continue to exist even when you physically die. And when you physically die, your material self will disintegrate back into what God used initially to form it. You know what that is? Dirt. You'll be restored to the dirt that God used to put together to create Adam. We were made out of dirt and to dirt will return. But it isn't that we think, oh, we've delivered ourselves from this physical body and now we are liberated to really live in our true self. No, we're looking for an immortal body. Because to be human means you have two essential components. You have your material body by which you interface with this world and with one another. And what is the reality? It keeps changing. It starts out as some of the little children that are here and they may not appreciate the fact that that's where we all started. And then we grow and we get older and there's a period of our life where we have vitality and strength and then guess what takes place? We become stiff, bent over, and decrepit and creak and feeble and we lose the capabilities that we once had. What we once had. Our outward body is decaying, decaying and deteriorating. But God has prepared for us a resurrected body, an immortal body that will not be subject to deterioration, death, and decay. And what I need to remember is the part of a human being, the part of myself that no one can see is what is real, what is permanent what will exist forever. Not only that, 
But how about all of these massive building projects? See, last time we talked about the great wonders of the world. And we talked about the Colosseum in Rome and its ruins now, but people still go to see it. We can talk about the hanging gardens that um, Nebuchadnezzar built in Babylon, and they're trying to restore all of that. We can talk about the great skyscrapers in cities in different places of the world. What is seen is temporary. It's going to be done away with. No works of men will endure forever. A reminder of that are the signs under construction that we keep seeing repeatedly around us. Man and all of his massive building projects and what he's so impressed with, it won't last. How about your material possessions? See, if you're living just to accumulate material things, guess how many of them you're going to take with you in death? Now, somebody may put some of them in a coffin with you, kind of like they did with the pharaohs in the pyramids, but that pharaoh's not there, and those trinkets still are. Because when you pass through death, you'll take none of the wealth, the material possessions with you, not even your forever home or where you get your million-dollar view in the mountains or on the coast or wherever else it might be. How about your careers? You spend your whole life trying to build your career. We try to be the best doctor we could be, the best attorney we can be, the best um, teacher that we can be, the professor, whatever it is. We want to get to the top of our career. No one is minimizing the importance of taking the gifts that God is giving to an individual and using them and developing them to their highest potential. But if you're doing it just for yourself, it means nothing at all. But when you can use those things in a way that is in keeping with Christ building his church, then they will prove to be advantageous and beneficial. Piper said that in his home, they had a little plaque. And that little plaque read the following. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, all of your great accomplishments... What are they really going to mean? He used the example in this work of a man and a woman who were able to retire early because they had had such great success. And we see that today in our technological age, don't we? Individuals who have capabilities with computer software and programs and different things who become multi-billionaires almost overnight. And so they have the cushy life. Oh, he used the example of one couple. He said back in 1998, Reader's Digest spoke of a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs, and they went and settled in retirement in Florida. They were out cruising on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. And his comment was, 
Picture them standing before Christ in the day of judgment and saying, See, Lord, look at my shells. What is your life counting for? What are you really living for? What is it you really desire to accomplish in your life? Do you understand that the things that are seen, all your successes, the accomplishments of men, the material things that you can accumulate mean absolutely nothing. And there's a sense in which we can say, even this world which seems so permanent, God is going to dissolve it with a great heat and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. So I will agree with you if you have your bucket list and you want to go see the Grand Canyon or the Alps or something else, you better do it now because it won't be there for eternity. This world is going to be dissolved by God. But because man was created to live on the earth, he's going to create a new earth in which righteousness dwells and his people will be with him there forevermore. What is God doing now? He's building his church. And he's given you the privilege of being associated with it. And to do so, you have to have that perspective that recognizes, I'm looking to and living for eternity. And by looking to and living for eternity, I am doing more good than the individual who is just living for the things of this world. Notice he also says how it is you need to live that life. Look at verse 7. We walk how? By faith, not by sight. Because I recognize that if I am living my life in the way that delights the heart of God, then I must be a man or a woman who is depending upon God, who is trusting in him, who is seeking to do what pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, biblical faith is not how sincerely you think something is. Biblical faith is not just what you subjectively believe to be true. Biblical faith is not just a pie-in-the-sky wishful idea. Biblical faith has a solid foundation and a substance. It is the reality of a dependence upon the one true God and knowing that he is the one who has made us and given to us our physical life and has provided for us eternal life in Jesus Christ, his son. It is to live by faith because we have the reality of we all must appear before that judgment seat of God to give an account for all we've done in this life. What am I living for? Because God's design in bringing us into the church to make us members of his body is to work through his people to accomplish that great building project, the church, where his gospel is being presented and individuals are seeing the reality that I can't work my way to heaven that my religion can't save me, 
that the only thing that can make me acceptable to God is Jesus Christ and his name is the only name given among men whereby any individual can be saved. And not only am I proclaiming that reality to others, but then in the body of Christ itself, as a member of the church, I am an instrument in his hand to be a blessing in the lives of others. Look at how Paul says it over in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4. Here Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And in doing so, the theme of this letter was to describe the church as the body of Christ. It isn't a physical structure or building. It is the recognition of all who are trusting in him and the relationship they have with one another and the relationship they have with the Lord himself. And in this, in chapter 4, he is describing how the church is to function in its daily experience or individual members of the church are to live their daily lives. So what does he say in verse 1? I as the prisoner of the Lord, for Paul was in prison at that time, but he recognized his situation in life was not an accident. Why is he where he is? Because this was God's design for him at that time and how God would be glorified in the life of Paul even through his imprisonment. So he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I entreat you to what? Walk worthy of your calling with which you have been called. And what is to be characteristic of God's people? With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another, in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is only one body. And so, if I am walking worthy of my calling in Christ, there is an attitude of heart that I have of true humility before others, as I seek to be an instrument in his hand of benefit to those around me. And in order to ensure that reality, in verse 11 he said, he, Jesus Christ, gave gifted men. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And for what reason did he give these gifted men? Now, in our modern idea of what it is in the church as it's functioning, we would say, well, he gave us these gifted men to do the work of ministry. That is not what Paul says. He gave us this gifted men, not that they would be the quote-unquote ministers to the church, but he gave these gifted men that he could train, they would train the members of the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. The ministry is the privilege and the portion that belongs to God's people. And to carry on that ministry, the various members of the body of Christ are to be functioning. Being involved in the church of Jesus Christ and what he is building means we have no spectators sitting in the stands watching a few down on the field doing the work of ministry. 
It is the recognition that all the members of the body of Christ are to be engaged in ministry. Notice how he says it. He says in verses 3 and following, or 13 and following, until we all obtain to the unity of the faith, same thing he said about walking worthy, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result that we are no longer to be children, that is tossed about by waves and the um, carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. Now, I plan in a future message to talk a little bit more about this growth in Christ and the church, but what I want to emphasize here is this great building project that God's doing. And who does he say is involved in being sure that the church is running smoothly as it ought to? Every individual fulfilling his or her given responsibility. Now, if the church is the body of Christ and he is the head, do you think about your own physical body? And Paul uses this analogy when he wrote to the Corinthians. In your physical body, does every part do the same job? No. If your whole body was an eye, then how are you going to hear what's being said? If your whole body was a hand, how are you going to get you know, to the other place you need to be, that is to be feet. And you know what he says? Even the parts of our physical body that we think seem to be insignificant are absolutely necessary. And God so composed the body that there be no lack. And if you are making your life count, It is to recognize that God has uniquely made you and equipped you to have a function in the operation of the body of Christ as it does its work in this world. Not every member does the same thing. If we talk about evangelism, not everybody is going to have the same responsibility. If we talk about the idea of building up the church and edifying the church, not everybody is going to be doing the same thing. But every individual member is necessary for the smooth, proper function of the body. And the glory of all of that is, you don't have to look at what God's doing through someone else and say, oh, if I could only do and be what they're like. The reality is to do and be what God's created and redeemed you to be in Jesus Christ. Because every part of the body of Christ is absolutely essential. And when one part of the body isn't working like it should, guess what? The body is sick. The body's sick. And so we go to the doctor when we're physically sick. Well, here the great physician is telling us that if the body is to be healthy, every member needs to pump iron. Every member needs to run a marathon. The point I'm making is 
every member needs to exercise his or her gift. And it isn't a matter of sitting and saying, well, how has God gifted me? Part of it is your unique personality. Part of it is the reality that God can give the same spiritual gift to do different people and they operate differently. What I ought to be is an individual like Isaiah who would say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. To get up each day and say, Lord, make me a blessing in your hand in the lives of others to the glory of Jesus Christ. Because God is building the church and making your life count is to look at the abilities God's given, the opportunities he's placed before you, and the reality that God can use you in great ways to bring glory to his name and bring, be a blessing to others. And I am fully convinced that when we all stand before God in glory, the people who will be given the greatest commendation by the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant, will often be the individuals that we knew nothing about in their ministry during their earthly life. If I think of the early church in the book of Acts, I'll tell you about a dear lady who had a great impact and the whole church wept bitterly when Dorcas died. And what was she noted for? Making clothing for members of the body of Christ. Being used of God with the abilities that she had to be an instrument in God's hand of benefit and blessing. So the time has come for no more excuses it isn't to say, what great thing can I do for God? Instead, it's to say, Lord, I want my life to count. I no longer want to be living for fatal success, for the temporary, for that which is going to be destroyed. But I want my eyes to be focused on the eternal, for the world that is yet to come for to be an instrument in God's hand, to be a blessing into the lives of people. Simple little acts of kindness. Like Paul could write to the Corinthians, or excuse me, the Galatians, when he said to them, as you have opportunity, do good to all men and especially to those of the household of faith, living for his glory where every member of the body of Christ is fulfilling a function. And then finally, if you'll turn with me by way of encouragement to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because death is not the end of things, right? God has given us victory even over death and the grave through Jesus Christ the Lord. And so in this great chapter where Paul speaks of the reality of the coming resurrection, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, thanks be to God. Why? 
Well, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory? The victory over death. The victory over the grave. The reality that we're all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And our mortality will be swallowed up with immortality. And so if that is the case, how should I be conducting myself? Therefore, my beloved brethren, he's not just talking to a leadership in the church. He's talking to all the members of the body of Christ. What should be the consuming passion of your life? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. God's doing a great work. He's building the church. And as God builds the church, he's given the members of the church not just the responsibility, but the great privilege of being a co-worker with God and to be used by him for eternal good and his glory. So the real question is, are you making your life count? Have you gotten caught up in the tyranny of the things of this world? Like that old country song, which bothers me when I hear it at times, says, Lord, I'm in a hurry uh, to get things done. I rush and rush till life's no fun. How we can get so engaged in the temporal, so bogged down with trying to build our kingdom here, and failing to recognize that temporal things are always and only temporal. But the beauty is that with the gifts that God has given me, now in Jesus Christ, even the simple mundane things of life take on a spiritual significance and can be used of God to benefit the lives of others to the glory of Jesus Christ. Dear brother and sister in Christ, make your life count. Be part of that great building project that God's doing. Be sure that you, as a member of the body of Christ, are doing your part so that someone else doesn't have to pick up the slack. But even most importantly, as Piper would say, don't waste your life. Don't live for fatal success. Be sure that your life is one that is focused on Jesus Christ. Like Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I just thank you for your truth and I pray that you would use your word today as an encouragement to your people. I pray, Father, for any who are here that know you not, who have been wrestling with the eternal, with their relationship with you, that you would use your word today to arrest them in their tracks and that you would cause them to turn to the only one who saves, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
that their confident trust would be in him who gives meaning and purpose to the life of every one of his children. For we ask that this in his precious name.